Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast. Today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Caleb Barrett. Today's message is from May 24th in our evening service, where I preached on Jude verses 3 through 16, entitled Beware False Teaching. Let's take a listen. Amen. Good evening, church. It is good to be worshiping with all of you, even though I don't see all of you. I know that we're worshiping together, that anyone watching this with the the mind and heart open to God, you are worshiping Him, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're at home or you're in the office, whatever, wherever you are, uh, you're worshiping God with us, and we we are thankful for that. We're also thankful that hopefully next Sunday we will be able to be back together to worship at least some of us in person. And that is a wonderful thing. Um, <clears throat> but we know that, that through the sacrifice of Christ, we don't need to be in any specific building to worship Him. We don't, we don't need to be in the temple. We don't need to be in the church because we are the church. We're the set apart, and when we worship Him, He is worshipped. So that is a glorifying thing, but I'm so excited to be back together next week. Uh, but <clears throat> this week's message is the next portion of the book of Jude, uh, which is starting a few verses that I already talked about last week, but we're, we'll be looking at uh, verses 3 through 16. So it's a little bit bigger chunk than I normally approach, but it's one big section that I think needs to be looked at as a whole. Um, but before we get to that, let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Dear Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you have called us before your holy throne, and whether we're here in this building or whether we're at home, that, that you have called us still to worship your name, and we thank you for that. And we just ask that this uh, time of worship continues to be glorifying to you as it was through music, that it may also be through the preaching of your word and, and the prayer, the raising of praises and prayers uh, to you uh, after my message. And we just ask that you show us who you are through these things. And now I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the big thing that we need to know with this this portion of Jude, and really the whole book of Jude, but especially this portion, is that this serves as a warning. Uh, It's a warning in two different ways. The first way is to tell false teachers that you will be seen, you are known. Even if those that you are leading astray don't know it, God knows it. And that you need to abandon that pursuit. You need to come to faith. You need to repent for those sins. But it's also warning the flock of God to follow well, to pay attention, to not just take people's word for it because they are in a prominent position. Uh, we, we need to remember that even though we are the flock, that doesn't mean that we're mindless sheep, that we are to be mindful, we are to be paying attention. And this passage is interesting. The whole book of Jude is really interesting because it talks about different things that we're not as aware of. Uh, it's talking about things that would have been commonly known Uh, to the Israelites, but we don't necessarily know as much today because it's making reference to lore. Uh, Obviously, in the way that it's talked about here, it's something that I I believe would have been accurate, but it's something that would have been addressed in that way up until that point. Or it's things that are just talked about and mentioned in passing. 
or it's giving us more context to something that happened in the Old Testament. We'll talk about these different things. Um, but before we read this passage, one of the biggest things that I think we need to remember when we look at this is that there's a difference between disagreeing with somebody and a false teacher. There are various people in this church that might disagree with things that I say, and I may disagree with things that they say. That doesn't mean that either of us is a false teacher. It means we have a different interpretation. There's a difference between a different interpretation and a heretical teaching. Uh, the specifics of that, I could probably get into another time. We're not going to talk about the definition of those things tonight. But I just want to know, just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean that you should stand up and call them a false teacher. Sometimes maybe it does. But, please assume that that's the case. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we should just let things go. It means that we should question. It means we should ask. It means we should understand. Uh, even if we disagree, that we should understand both sides. Um, and like I said, this passage will be starting from verse 3. Last week we went through verse 4, but I'm going to be starting in verse 3 because it is the beginning of the whole idea of this section. We'll be reading, starting in verse 3 in Jude, where it says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to you, to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the gospel, the grace of God, into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling place, he kept, or he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. Those are forbidden reefs at your love feasts, and they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept among along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam from their own shame wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all 
and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Thanks be to God. This is a long passage, and uh, it's frankly a little depressing in some ways. But it's something that we need to remember. This isn't a condemnation of all people. This is a condemnation of false teachers. This is a condemnation of those that willingly go in and teach falsely. Um, and it's something that, that there's a few significant points. that This is almost grouped into sections uh, that we need to look at. And the first, again, we talked about it a little bit last week, but we talked about it from a different direction. But the first is that they creep in unnoticed. The, the, and I said this, I'm pretty sure, last week, but they don't come in jumping up and down and saying, hey, I have a new way of looking at this. Listen to me. Uh, this may not go with Scripture, but trust me, I got this. Now, sometimes they will openly say, I have a new perspective. And sometimes a new perspective is okay. But sometimes new perspectives are false teaching. And we need to be wary of this. When somebody comes in and says, for the first time in, you know, 2,000 years, I have a new way of interpreting this passage. We may want to just stop for a second and ask, how? Why? Where did, how did so many of the great fathers and theologians throughout church history miss this interpretation that you were given such an ideal that you can figure this out? Now, maybe there is something. Maybe there is a connection that's looked at in a new way and it's just a new perspective and not a new form of theology or anything like that. But, I'll tell you what, if somebody says that I figured something out that no one in 2,000 years has figured out, we may want to just take a minute. Just take a minute before we take that in and uh, hold on to it as true doctrine of the church. But this says those that pervert the grace of God into sensuality. And this, this can be looked at in a few different ways. One of the ways is that it's those that take advantage of believers. Now this can be in a few different ways. Uh, one of the most common ways is probably financially. Um, those that say, you know, I know I have 15 homes, but one more would, would really make God happy. Why though? Now, <clears throat> I'm not saying that any pastor that, that is well off or handled money well should be uh, looked at and, and examined and told to give everything away. But when we look at those that are making a lot of money, a lot of profit, a lot of um, extra in, in different ways, we, we might want to just take a minute and ask again why. Sometimes there is a reasonable explanation, but if they're taking for granted the people of God, if they are taking advantage of the people of God, we need to be cautious, and we see this today. This isn't something just from back in the time of Jude. This is something that we see in the prosperity gospel, which we'll come back to a little bit later in the message. But I will tell you what, a lot of the prosperity gospel preachers are doing just this. Now, I'm not saying that they're all false teachers, but they might be false teachers. And again, 
We see this in a historical way too. We see this historically, this taking advantage of uh, the generosity of um, God's people. Frankly, we see it as one of the causes of the Reformation, that you could buy your way into heaven with indulgences. And if, if your uh, loved ones didn't get enough grace before they died, you can buy their way into heaven. And that is a massive oversimplification of what happened. But that's basically what happened. And they did it to pay for one of the cathedrals. Now again, I'm not saying all of the, the Catholic Church at this time was corrupt and, and whatnot, but this is evidence that there was corruption, that this buying your way into heaven probably falls into this category. But like I said before, disagreeing isn't the same thing as false teaching. The way that, that I read about this is that um, it's teaching damned, damnable heresies, those for which damnation is warranted. One of those might be that, that Christ isn't the Son of God, that Christ isn't divine, that, that Christ wasn't born of a virgin. These are those types of false teaching. One of the other ones may be that if you give more money to the church, God will grant you more blessings. It's not how it works. God's not a slot machine. God's not a piggy bank. God's not a casino. I'm going to bet the house that if I give everything, that he'll grant me even greater things. We should give to him because it is his, and we should do it joyously, not because it's going to give us more glory, more blessings in this life. But if I'm teaching something, if I say something and you don't agree with me, ask. Uh, we have disagreements in different theological positions in this church. And that's one of the benefits to the way the SBC functions is that you can be a part of the same church and disagree, and that's okay. There is room for interpretation. But one of the biggest things that you can do to find out if something I said was just a misunderstanding and you thought that I was saying something heretical, maybe I just misspoke. I can tell you that Naomi can testify to the fact that sometimes when I'm talking, my words get ahead of my brain, and they get jumbled out of order. And I might say something that actually, if you took as a quote, would be heretical. Now, I'm much more careful when I'm speaking in front of people than in a smaller group. But if I say something, ask, check, make sure that I'm not going off the deep end. And I say that with anybody. Now, I'm not saying challenge every single thing anyone says. But if something causes you concern, ask. Look into it. Check on it. We just, we just need to learn to ask questions, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, this morning is a great example of that. Before the service started, at 8.50, I told the band, okay, we got 10 minutes, so we got to go. Get ready and hurry up. Now, we've been having our service at 9.30 for how many weeks now? But all of them just kind of went with it. And all of them were, weren't quite sure, but no one questioned me. Everyone's just like, okay, I guess we're starting at 9.00. And it's a funny example, and obviously it's not a heretical example, but that's one of the examples. Sometimes people just inherently trust the pastor that when they say something that sounds really blatantly wrong, that you just kind of go with it. We need to question. We need to ask. Pastors aren't perfect. Missionaries aren't perfect. Professors aren't perfect. We need to ask questions. We need to find out. We need to understand. But then this passage talks about the saving of Israel from Egypt. 
And the thing that we need to understand is that a physical salvation isn't necessarily a spiritual salvation. Now what I mean by that is sometimes God does save us from horrific physical encounters. God does save us from a tornado coming our way. That doesn't mean he's saving us because we're believers. It doesn't mean he's saving us because we have some specific journey. He's saving us because it's his will and it's not our time. That's not showing that he saved us spiritually as well. If we, aren't, if we don't have faith in Christ, we aren't saved. It doesn't matter what other physical evidence you might see. There's a, such a thing as common grace. And common grace means uh, the simple way that it's, it's described is that it reigns on the just and the unjust. But this says that Christ saved the Israelites out of Egypt, but then he judged those that did not believe. And again, this is where we see the falseness of the prosperity gospel. Just because somebody gives a lot and then they get a promotion and and start making a million dollars a year, that doesn't mean that they were shown grace by God. That doesn't mean that they're saved. If they aren't putting their faith in Christ, that doesn't mean anything. They need to put their faith in God for their salvation. The physical evidence is nothing. It is through our spiritual faith alone that we are saved, through the grace of God alone. And I think this is one of the good, a good passage. Uh, uh, Pastor John and I were talking this morning about, um, I think it was this morning. Again, I get jumbled up, so maybe it wasn't this morning. But uh, we were talking about the, the idea that if, you think that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and the God of the New Testament is a God of grace, then you didn't read the whole Bible. You didn't read the whole of either. And this is one of those passages. This is literally in this passage, and I will go back to it because I think it's an important thing for us to see. Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. He showed grace. And then he showed judgment. And it's in the same way with Passover. We see that as a time of wrath because it was a plague. Except grace was shown to the believers. We see both grace and judgment in both. And and I'm always hesitant to use it as wrath. God isn't a God of wrath. He's a God of justice. And sometimes that is shown as wrath because that is what is judged or uh, just. We are saved by Christ when we have faith, and when we have faith, we'll be spared from judgment. Again, we can't confuse physical occurrences with the same thing as what this is talking about. We may go through something horrific physically. We may be hit by a hurricane. We may be hit by a tsunami. We may be hit by a tornado or an earthquake, and our bodies may be destroyed. That doesn't mean that God didn't show us mercy. It's what happens on the other side of that judgment where we see that salvation. But we need to remember that the prosperity gospel is wrong. Just because you aren't prospering doesn't mean that you aren't saved. Just because you are prospering, it doesn't mean you're saved. Now, that doesn't mean the reverse is true. It doesn't mean that if you're doing well, that means you aren't saved because you aren't giving enough or you aren't sacrificing enough or anything like this or that because you're living in poverty that you're one of the God's chosen people. 
what it means is that none of it has anything to do with it. Financial prosperity has nothing to do with your salvation on either side. We need to believe and trust in Christ. We need to be, believe in Him because He has shown us grace. We don't believe in Him because He'll pay our rent. We believe in Him because He is the perfect God who sent His Son to die on a cross to save our souls. And that is what we must hold on to, is our faith in Christ for our salvation, not for our dinner. One of the things that I found interesting in this passage, and I think it's a little bit easy to misunderstand, is it talks about relying on dreams. So it says that people uh, rely on their dreams, and then they defile the flesh, they reject authority, they, they blaspheme majestic things. Uh, and <clears throat> it kind of seems in a strange way, relying on dreams. And when I, when I just read it uh, first time through, the thing that I thought about is how we interpret dreams today, and the, that's the answer to everything, is what our dreams are telling us. Okay, well, it's not telling us that, that, that that's not what this means. It's not talking about that. It's talking about relying on your own thoughts. It's relying on your own beliefs. It's using, well, I dreamt that God told me I can do whatever I want, so that means I can do whatever I want. But it would be the same as saying, I feel this way, therefore I can do this thing. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, it teaches us that we need to deny our sinful self. Just because we have a temptation toward a thing doesn't mean that God wants us to be in that temptation. In fact, he tells us the opposite. Now, all of us deal with different temptations in different ways. But none of them, the things that he forbids are not... Are, explicitly things that he forbids. Just because we feel or we dream something doesn't mean it's true. God's word is true. We need to beware in the defiling of flesh, but we also need to be aware of the reject authority, and that's where you get that idea from the relying on dreams. In the relying on dreams, we, ref we, we reject the authority of God. We reject that he said we can't do something well, I feel like I can, so I will. We, don't, we shall not reject that kind of authority. It's not talking about, um, in this passage, governmental authority. It's talking about God. It's talking about His authority. But even so, we can apply it to the authority because that's what, what God tells us to do, is obey our physical, our, our earthly authority as long as it doesn't go against His will. So just because my dreams tell me that I want to go rob a bank doesn't mean that I should go rob a bank. When it talks about blaspheming majestic beings, when, when the scriptures talk about blaspheming the Holy Spirit and blaspheming the name of God and don't use the name of God in vain, this, this has several meanings and we typically only look at one thing. We only look at literally using his name in vain or literally speaking poorly of him. But it is that. So don't hear me say that it's not that. It is that, but it's more than that. That's putting God on a very simple level. But it's also speaking against his uh, will. It's declaring one thing for his will when it is not. And it's the same thing with all these false teachings. God told me that it's okay for you to do this. 
God didn't tell you that. Maybe you read it in the scriptures, and if, if that's the case, that God told me this through 1 Corinthians, okay? Maybe we don't word it that way, but okay. But God told me in a vision that you're supposed to go do this. That, that's something we need to be more cautious of. That's something we need to be more careful of. But specifically when it goes against his will. But then as Jude writes this, he isn't light on the outcome of false teachers. He isn't going light on what is going to happen for those that don't believe, for those that follow these different falsities. He gives several examples. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Gomorrah. Like we, we know what happens there, that that is a city full of, uh, of indulgence. And even with, with Abraham begging that it may be spared, even with him getting down to, to God saying, if there's ten people, I'll spare the city, that there's no one just. Now we know from the New Testament also that that's because no one is just. But that city was so damaged, that city was so far behind, God showed his judgment on it. We see similar things in all the other passages it talks about. It talks about the rebellion of Korah. Now, if you haven't heard the rebellion of Korah, it might be because you skipped over the book of Numbers. But it's in there in Numbers 16. Uh, Korah goes against Moses with 250 followers. And in this, there is a conflict and basically... Korah challenges, and God shows his judgment on who his will is that the Israelites follow. And in this, Korah and all of his followers are destroyed. Now, this isn't saying that if you disagree with your pastor, you shouldn't bring it up, because Korah disagreed with his leader, Moses, and God destroyed them. That, that's not what that passage is about. Pastors do not have that level of authority as Moses did. We are not prophets, not in that way. <clears throat> but it means that we aren't to rebel against God and his authority. We need to be cautious. We need to follow God's will. We need to follow what his scriptures say. We need to remember that judgment is a real thing and it will come. It talks about feasting together without reverence not remembering who provided us these things. And it talks about them only caring for themselves. And when it talks about the prophecy of Enoch, we see in this prophecy that the Lord and his angel army will judge the world. And, and as I, I read it before, and if you go back and read it again in Jude, um, what I see is what happened at Passover on a grand scale. At Passover, it was the angel of the Lord passing over. And that every house that didn't have the mark of blood on their, their doorstand, then those, the other houses were judged. And in the same way, God and his angel army is going to go out and judge. But now, here's where we have 
the encouragement. Here's where we have the promise. We know as followers of Christ, we are protected from this. We know that we have that mark above our house. We know that when that passes over, that the blood of Christ will show us righteous. Now don't hear me saying that we will be righteous because we follow Christ. Christ's blood makes us righteous. And I think in this passage, in this warning passages, and I think warning passages in general are kind of hard to read sometimes because, uh, like I said, and I, I say it somewhat in jest, but they're a bit of a downer. But we need that. We need to remember those things too. We need to remember why the love of God is so significant, why the salvation through Christ is such an important and special thing. But the first thing that we need to take from this is that we need to trust God. First and foremost, we trust God. We see in all of these things, all of these judgments happen to those that don't trust God and don't have faith in Christ. But then the second thing we need to take from this is we need to seek out and trust godly teachers. Listen to other people's recommendations. If you hear somebody say that this is a good teacher, great. But also look into it. When you have this trusted godly teacher, ask them questions. If they say something that sounds a little weird, ask. We need to question teachers. And we need to question the teachers for two reasons. One, we learn more when we question. And two, we either help them see errors in their thinking or maybe we'll find a false teacher. Now, that doesn't mean that we should go to every Sunday school and try and poke out false teachers. But again, we can't just trust that every teacher is a godly teacher. Now, I'm not talking about in our church in particular. I'm talking on a grand scale. If you go onto YouTube and search preacher preaching on a certain passage, you are going to get every level of interpretation. You're going to get everything from this passage isn't true because it doesn't follow what I feel to this means that we need to burn the house down passages, uh, interpretations. You're going to get every level of this. But you ask questions, you listen, what sounds right, what doesn't, what focuses, what works with other passages in Scripture. There is nothing in Scripture that goes against itself. There is nothing that is wrong to itself. The Scriptures always confirm themselves. So if somebody says something about a passage in 1 Corinthians, but something in the Gospel of Mark doesn't seem to work with what they're saying, then we need to ask that. We need to ask how those things go together. One of the things that I think about is uh, I went to a a church service uh, when I was a new believer, and the, the pastor said that the story of Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac isn't true because no father would be willing to do that to his son. Well, Let me tell you where that doesn't fit in Scripture. Where God sent His only Son to die, to be sacrificed. If you think a passage isn't true because you don't think it makes sense, you need to read the rest of Scripture. Especially with something like that, that fundamental. I almost stood up and said, you missed the point of the Bible. The whole thing. You missed it. But that wouldn't have been the right place for that approach. But then we need to study the Scripture. Each of us individually study the Scripture and look for understanding. We want to make sure that we understand the Scriptures 
as well. We don't want to just blindly trust other people. This can also be done with the help of books, but even with those books, we need to make sure that the teaching is right in those things. I've read plenty of books that I got through the first about 20 pages and I was like, yeah, this isn't right. This isn't, this isn't true. I have a pastor friend of mine, uh, and I was talking to Pastor Dennis about us getting these, but having stickers that go on the front of certain books that say this is heresy for research only. Because sometimes we do read those things, but we need to, we need to understand that. But we should each be studying the scripture ourselves to understand these things. Uh, there are individuals here in this church, and maybe specifically in this church right now, that have asked me questions that I even have to think about for, for several days and work through. But it's because they're reading and they're trying to understand the scripture for themselves. But with that, we need to ask questions and compare. If you heard a sermon that doesn't quite make sense, ask me or Pastor Dennis about it. But even more so, ask other pastors. Ask, other, ask the deacons. Ask deacons at other churches. Look for understanding. Look, if, if two answers don't work together, look for why. Is it just that we interpret things differently? Because you're going to find that. Like I said before, there, there's leaders in this church that we dis disagree on certain things, and that's okay. Because they're not essential doctrine. And with that, as the last point, disagreeing is different from false teachers. We can disagree and that's okay. There are certain essential teachings that we cannot disagree on. I named several of them before. But the order of salvation, we can disagree on the exact nature of that. But we need to make sure that God is honored first and foremost. We need to remember that his teaching is above all else. And as I say that, as I say um, there's things that we can dis disagree on interpretations of, I think about at my previous church where I was an interim music director. I went out to lunch, Naomi and I went out to lunch with the pastor before I started, and he asked me, uh, after we had talked and, and eaten for a while, he asked me, okay, are you Calvinist or Arminian? I was like, all right, here we go. This might be the end of this, but all right. And obviously, I'm not going to be deceptive about that. I told him my interpretation of that. And he said, okay, what if I disagree with you? My response was, as long as the, the, the will of God is done, that we, we don't disagree on the fundamentals, and as long as we go out and witness uh, and spread the gospel to the corners of the world, I don't really care. All right, that's what I wanted to hear. And that's what we need to remember, is that there's a difference between a false teacher and when we disagree. But we need to be aware, we need to be cautious, we need to look that the word of God is honored first and foremost. We need to make sure that we aren't led astray. We need to be aware that false teachers sneak in. We remember the, the imagery of a wolf in sheep's clothing. We need to be aware of these things, and the best way to be aware Read your Bible. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you have called us into this place, both physically in this church building, but also spiritually into your temple, that we can come before you and worship your holy name. And I just ask that as we depart from this service tonight, whether it's turning off our computer or leaving uh, the building, that, that you help us to remember who you are, that, that you have called godly teachers into each of our lives, and that you just help us to see your will and you help us see your truth, that we remember that 
we are going to disagree and, and we're going to be incorrect, but that you help us see the essential doctrines, that you help us to see those things that are false teachings. You help us to see the things that will lead us astray. And I just ask that as we go from here, you help us to honor your name as we learn from others and as we teach others and that your will is done first and foremost forever and ever. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast. I pray that this message was a blessing to you and just studying the book of Jude and even though it's so short really shows us where we need to be cautious of false teaching and why we need to look to scripture and ask questions if something seems a little bit off. I just want to take a moment to thank everyone that tuned in with us today. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about this message or any others, or if you have any questions or comments that you would like us to address in future podcasts, please email us at pastor at mbaptist.org. If you have any prayer requests, please email us at prayer at mbaptist.org. And that is not just for our church family or our immediate church family, but really anyone that listens to this podcast. If you have any prayer requests, please let us know. We want to be praying with you and for you over everything big and small. For more information on Mililani Baptist Church, you can find our website at mbaptist.org or follow us on social media and YouTube. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that it was a blessing and invite you to join us tomorrow for this episode of the Pastor's Corner where Pastor Dennis and I will talk about the passages that talk about the qualifications of pastors and deacons. Thank you again for joining us today. 